0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello, and welcome back to the Be Unbound podcast. Uh, This week is episode 61. Uh, We are continuing with our series called Unbound Pursuits, where we are having conversations with unbound students and alumni who are pursuing specific career fields. And Abe, for this episode, you got to have a conversation with some unbound alumni who have gotten into the EMS field. Yes,
1: this is a very interesting field. We have a couple unbounders who are first responders and work EMS. And this was a good conversation, David. We got to go into a lot of areas and subjects for EMS that I feel like is not as commonly talked about or just things that Mm -hmm. those of us outside the field really should know and was really interesting to get to know more. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, yes, there were some really interesting and fun stories. So I would definitely encourage you guys to listen all the way to the end. There's some of the good stuff there. Well, with all that being said, please enjoy the episode. Hello, fam. Welcome back on to another episode of the Unbound Podcast. This is an episode of Unbound Pursuits, where we are talking with unbound professionals or people in different fields. Today, we have the ems the first responders in our community and this is going to be an extremely fun episode so i have three uh, unbound ems with me steven joel and roma all good friends we've uh, shared lots of interesting or they've told me lots of interesting (laughs) stories and so i wanted to bring that on to share with the rest of you guys steven let's start with you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: Uh, Yeah, my name is Steven Peterson. I currently live in Dallas, Texas, originally from central Iowa, and um, worked in the EMS field uh, up in Iowa for a while before moving down here.
3: Hey guys, uh, I'm Joel Steers. I live in Augusta, Georgia. I've worked in EMS for a little over a year, and uh, really excited to be here.
4: Hi guys, I'm from Detroit. I live out in Sheboygan County, Wisconsin, so if you can see the lake right behind me. Um, I live in a little town called Roosburg, Wisconsin, which is 10 miles south of Sheboygan. I've been in EMS for approximately about five years, and I work for a full-time paramedic service here in the county.
1: All right. So let's get right into how you guys got started. Is this uh, a vocation or a career path that you guys always wanted to do and were pursuing this you know, um, through college already, or was this something more like? Oh, I wanted to develop this skill later on. Stephen, let's start with you again.
2: I didn't necessarily expect to get into EMS specifically, but I was looking at getting into some sort of emergency responder field, if not as a primary field, as a secondary field. Because in Iowa, um, the way most EMS services are set up, about 90% of the EMS services, there are volunteer based. And so it's a lot of people working other jobs um, that are also in the emergency responder field. And I had started looking at going into either law enforcement or um, emergency medical services and over a period of a couple of years and um, through some conversations with family members and things like that, ended up choosing to go the EMS route. We have three generations of EMTs in my family. A lot of experience there, a lot of uh, interest there in helping people. This happened to be a really good way to do that, especially in what can be some people's worst day of their life. And being able to kind of prepare yourself to be able to help other people in situations that they're not prepared to deal with was one of the big reasons I ended up in this field. Yeah.
1: I did not know that like three generations all did this. So that's really interesting.
2: So um, not my father, but my uncle um, and then my gotcha. grandfather. So Okay. And Roma, how about you?
4: Um, so, yeah. Um, so actually a little bit of a background. Um, our local EMS at the time um, where we live in Eastburg. Had a local ambulance service that was actually started by my grandpa, and so kind of working through some of the stuff and growing up a little bit, I started getting a little bit interested. My initial focus was through law enforcement, um, but then starting looking at some things, I saw the opportunity and really the good decision in the regards to looking at EMS, and especially just besides the fact of you get you get that certification, it really gives you a lot of life skills. Um, And part of that being that my grandpa, my grandma had been in it and my dad had been in it. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to continue Mm. the legacy per se. Um, So that's kind of why I started in regards to that. So, yeah.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So also kind of a family thing. That's really cool. Again, I did not know that before. Um, Joel, uh, how about you? And I know I I wanted to mention you last just because we've talked about the story and Part of it has to do with leadership courses and all that's pretty interesting. But yeah.
3: Hey, so um, I'd always kind of been interested in it. i would had some not close family relationships with people, just general like family that had worked in the medical field um, and hearing some of their stories, some friends and stuff in high school, like growing up, Um, even just talking to Roma and Steven, like a couple of years before I went through EMT school. um, It was something that I knew that I wanted to do i was very much on the fence about it i had been through like an active shooter situation when i was in high school uh thankfully like nobody was hurt but there was like nobody around to like really help others and it really got me thinking about like what would what would i do if this happened again so that kind of also put me on the on the trajectory to want to just be like prepared for an emergency and like be able to take care of myself and others I was very much on the fence about like going through a school and failing out, um, kind of risk averse in that and like the a lot of responsibility, like if I mess this up, like somebody could actually die. Um, going through the leadership capstone in 2018 really helped like encourage me to buckle down to set that goal and follow through with it. I wanted to do like humanitarian missions work like in on the long term. Um, but I was making a lot of excuses and avoiding things that were daunting or that would like ha- have a high risk of failure. So going through L three uh, challenged me to think about what kind of person I really wanted to be and encouraged me to foster this mindset um, where I was less like risk adverse and like timid towards um, you know taking those kind of steps towards following through. Uh, it helped me to foster that mindset, and so for me going to e m t school was like the first tangible application for that
1: gotcha and um and yeah i I had the blessing of going through l three with you and uh traveling a little bit actually before i think it was yeah before l three we basically lived together for a month, and yeah, it was really cool to see that process happen, so I will second that, but on that note for uh e m t school for you guys. Like Joel, you started a little bit later and then Steven and Roma, was that something that you guys started like fairly early on while you were still doing uh, college or um, what was that like?
4: I got to go back, back race a little bit. Um, so I started, <laughs> I started at the time it was college plus, um, way back many moons for those who, who know that and are, <laughs> so, Oh, I'm an damn. old soul. If you want to talk about it, almost
1: anxious one at this point. <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> um, so I initially started uh, College Plus
1: in, I
4: believe it was the fall of 2012, if I remember right. And then we had one of the biggest first meetings in 2013. We had snowbegan in, in Texas, um, where you were, Joel, you were, Stephen. Were you guys there? I can't remember. Okay. Uh, that's a whole nother story in and of itself. No. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but then that next year, the four, uh, 2014, they had like the first CPE three, I had kind of been starting to look at it. Cause I had gotten some looking into public safety through a local police department. They did like an explore program. So it's a way to give high school age kids the opportunity to get kind of immersed in a very controlled atmosphere, what law enforcement looks like. And so I kind of call that kind of like my first love and the fact that like I fell in love with that and I wanted to do that. And then when I started looking at some of those things, I saw that um, going into emergency medical field would also give me another level of expertise and experience to be better prepared for if I did continue to become a police officer. Then I started doing that while I was still in doing school with College Plus. So I remember when I was doing the courses, I was doing spring semester with them and I remember I took Western Civ, I bombed something else. I can't remember what it was, but I was actually doing two different course loads at the same time, which I'm actually quite proud of, like I'm surprised. So,
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I
4: don't know. Does that answer
2: it? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, 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 no. for sure. For sure. Uh, Any other thoughts, gentlemen?
2: No so I actually um as, as I could have said before I was looking at going to law enforcement before, um, but a lot of those things weren't necessarily super um, I wasn't necessarily looking at in terms of degree as much when I was going to that I was more just concerned about getting a four year um, and it didn't I didn't necessarily view my four year as a place to to throw in a bunch of the the emergency response skills and law enforcement training and stuff that was kind of a an extra thing in my head. whether or not it should have been is a completely different question but as it stood, um, they were in kind of two separate buckets, kind of like what Romo was talking about a little bit. Um, and I was looking initially at going into the state patrol and um, was looking at doing the EMC as a, as a way to cross train and um, make myself, I guess, more useful um, because a lot of people in the state patrol, at least in Iowa, are cross-trained as um, medical responders as well and will work on local fire crews and things like that. So when I decided to actually go through that training, Um, I was in the middle of my degree and um, doing my EMT training um, in the evenings at one of the local schools um, with a flight paramedic instructor, then going and doing all my clinical hours whenever I could fit them in. So it was a bit of a bit of a crazy schedule for a while, because I think at one point I was working two jobs and doing two different school programs. When I actually finished up my training, I had an internship completely unrelated to EMS in Texas. And then moved back. And when I moved back, I started working in the EMS field, um, and then started the process—the never-ending process of continuing Ed after that. So that was kind of kind of my journey, I guess. And then, like, I was actually finishing my degree while while in um, while working in the EMS field.
1: Gotcha. And Joel, any? Wh- what about you?
3: I actually went to EMT school. I guess it was over winter break uh, between 2018 and 2019. I'd been tracking different EMS programs for a couple of years and it just did not work out with other things that I was doing. Um, Coming out of Capstone in 2018, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this and found, I think it was a 13 week course, um, like December to February. And I didn't have any Thomas Edison classes going on at the time. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to do this. It was at a local college. uh, So applied, got in and just studied for 13 weeks straight. And that was awful. I wouldn't recommend that. If you if you have the opportunity to go to EMT school, do like a semester course or something like that. Don't try to cram it into like a month and a half, two months. You're a glutton for um, punishment, Joel. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't really, I wasn't taking any other, like any working on my degree, my degrees in communications and I was wanting to do something, you know, working with like nonprofits or humanitarian stuff, like as a journalist, like overseas. And um, it just seemed like a really good thing to have if I was going to be going overseas, like where people could potentially be getting hurt. So it kind of took some time off from my degree to to focus on that and get, get the certification.
1: Let me just say that all of us being Unbound and going through the Unbound program, one, it definitely shows just the, I as you can say, the spirit, right? Everyone's working super hard and... A lot of times doing school working multiple jobs trying to figure things out <laughs> but um yeah it does sound like you were able to be flexible with figuring things out and pursuing emt school yeah just basically do that while figuring things out with college and all that so yeah the 13 weeks really so that's cool. that is wow <laughs> cool.
4: So that's that's like, insane. Okay, that's one, no, you did it. You didn't have another any other classes, so that helps. But <laughs> holy moly, guacamole! Like, oh, that's just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, I mean, I struggled. Yeah.
3: Ugh. I was gonna say the last two weeks I was studying sixteen hour days. So I would literally sit down at my desk or go to the library, and for sixteen hours, like from the time the library opened to the time the library would close, I be <laughs> sitting there studying and. The last half of the course, like I was consistently like behind on assignments and stuff, so wouldn't recommend it unless like that's unless you have a really good background in it and like all the anatomy and physiology and stuff like it's yeah it was
2: well, and for those of you that are watching this that might be interested in doing this, when you're doing e m t school, you can't just factor in the book work, you have to factor in your clinical hours and you have to factor in things <laughs> like sleep <laughs> because. Things like sleep. Yes, because the other, the, the other thing with any anything EMS is you have it's it's always going to take longer than what you think it is, um, partially because the clinical hours that you're putting in may or may not be like a fixed number of hours. You may have certain contact a number of contacts and things that you have to get. And so you may end up having to go a whole bunch of additional shifts just to get all of those requirements met. And it's a lot of report writing and it's a lot of things like that. So definitely budget more time than what you think you will need. And also recognize the fact that um, if you actually want to learn the material really well and you actually want to do your clinical hours and um, get the most out of it, you want to do your clinical hours and then go back and cover, recover the stuff that you've seen and the stuff that you learned to be able to kind of self debrief somewhat after you've worked the incidents. So definitely budget more time than what you think you need, especially when choosing what specific course you're going to go through. Also, not all EMT programs are the same. So make sure that you're getting one from a school that's not just trying to churn out a bunch of people for money's sake, but that you're actually getting a really good training program.
4: And, and also the fact that don't, don't necessarily follow a school that just wants you to pass. Because passing is great, but does it necessarily make you a good EMT. So, and, and I can cover that a little bit later when we talk about like the idea of being in different positions of training and stuff and how you learn, you see how that kind of happens. But when you talk about clinical hours, Stephen, that reminds me of the whole sleep thing and clinicals. So um, we had choice of two different hospitals. So typically you'll have a choice of local hospitals that you have that will partner with the school. And then they will precept you, which is what they call. So someone babysits you in the ER to make sure you don't do anything stupid because it happens and it's okay. Um, but I ended up doing a third shift um, clinical in the ER. And of course, I decided to pick the, the ER that was probably the deadest on a consistent basis. And we had two people there that night. And technically, we weren't allowed to share patients, but we kind of did he was closer than I was. And so he got done and I was like short, like four, four or five patients for different things. So I stayed all night, went home, slept for three hours, came back, finished it for the rest of the day, then went to class that night, slept for an hour and a half and then bombed my hazardous material with everybody else in the class. <laughs> so don't recommend that. Just, just saying <laughs> that was, that was pretty rough. <laughs>
2: You want to survive to the point of getting your job. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's not about passing, which is good. We had a spot in the back of the room where people would stand in class. And I think our classes were like four hours on weeknights. And then we would be all Saturday, like all of Saturday. We did put in like 10 or 12 hours on Saturday. And literally like people would be falling asleep in class and they would be just be told to go, like, stand up in the back of the class or, like, pace in the back of the class to yeah, stay awake. That's, that's insane. Well, going
1: along with this uh, line, I thought, let's continue. Um, what are some of these things that you wish you knew or you wish you did differently if you could uh, go through this again? Basically speaking to those who are thinking about doing EMT school.
4: You will lose sleep. You will and, and partially in class, if you learn that you're going to become sleep deprived and depending on what kind of service you go into, it, I mean, in that case, it's not going to change much. So it kind of re, reacquaints your, or prepares your body for it, but you will lose sleep. And the fact of you're not going to be, you're not going to come out of class and just boom, be ready to go. I mean, there's, and they always talk about that almost in any field. You have the book smarts and you have the street smarts. And so for me, I wasn't really a good book smart person. I can take the info in and I can understand it. But for me, I'm an applications guy. So I need to take the information that I'm bringing in and I need to know, okay, how does this apply to me when I'm working? Um, so that was really, that was a pretty hard learning experience for me because I was so set in, this is the way I was taught how to do this. And then to adapt how I did that in regards to the street and how things actually work. Um, So don't be frustrated by that because I think a lot of people can be like... um, And I give a lot of credit to some of the training people that I had early on that really helped me through that and saw that, hey, you're struggling with this, it's okay. Try this and just let me kind of discover my own modus operandi, if you say, without being stupid and doing something that I shouldn't be doing. And meant to really develop yourself into who you are as an EMG and a provider as a whole. So
2: kind of going along with that a little bit, um, you know, and we we joke about sleep deprivation stuff and it, it is a really big issue. Um and it's something that is not just a schooling thing. It's it's a thing when you actually are working in the field, probably more so. Um, just because you're working weird hours and depending on your service, they may be floating you back and forth between shifts and things like that. Um but one of the things that is really important is learning where to set limits, and I say this a little bit tongue in cheek because I was really bad at this. If you're getting into this field, you're getting into it for a reason. It's typically typically because you really love the field, and you love working with people, and you love helping people, which is great. All all of those are great things. But one of the things that that um, can very quickly become is kind of a drive to always give, even where it's not required necessarily, or where there's not necessarily like one of the things that I would do um, is. I, I lived away, um, quite a bit away from my, uh, from my station. And so it wasn't possible for me to just go out and respond to a call if there was extra help required um, or something like that. But I would actually um, keep my pager on at night just so I kind of knew what was going on um, before I got there. And in retrospect, that was probably not the best choice because I was lo- losing a lot of sleep even when I wasn't in a position to actually help. And so learning where to kind of set those limits and also and this is a really tricky one um, because I'm not exactly sure what to tell you to do to deal with it, but um, learning how to find your baseline, because one of the things that can really happen in this specific field is um, it's not always like really obvious stress. Um, There's a lot of cumulative stress that happens uh, when you're in the field. And it's not necessarily like you got a really bad incident and you're having to debrief from that and you know where all that stress is coming from. And sometimes there is that. Um, But there's a lot of wear and tear that just happens day to day. And if you don't have a way to kind of measure out where you're at physically, emotionally, spiritually, whatever that looks like, um, or you don't have people there that can tell you when you start to go sideways, it's really easy to end up off the rails and not realize it. And then when you are able to finally um, decompress, um, it's really easy to have a crash because you're not, you're not keeping up, um, and your body's essentially running, um, on adrenaline, um, for long extended periods of time. And so finding some ways for you to kind of debrief yourself and to figure out kind of where that, that baseline level is. So, you know, when you start to deviate is really, really super important. Yeah, totally. I mean,
1: not a good comparison, but I'm just thinking of, uh, you're basically living on apex week, which is not healthy. Okay. We lo- we all love apex for you, those of us who are ascend and unbound, but yeah, we <laughs> we are not supposed to live like that, but really good points. Uh, Joel.
3: Um, yeah. I mean, Steven had some really good points on that. I would say it's really important, you know, set boundaries and also have good routines to help you decompress and wind down or like integrate into normal life at the end of your shift. It's good to keep in mind, understand that the person you're treating is the one having the emergency. You need to be compassionate, empathetic without becoming emotionally involved. And that's really hard to do. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to go home and know that you did everything for the patient and leave it at that. You know, you should try to learn from each call and be consistent and constantly looking to improve, but don't play the what if game. If you have a patient die, or even if you have a patient that's completely fine at the end of the day and they're just really rude and obnoxious, you know, when you're only trying to help them, you can't internalize that. You have to be able to say, you know, tomorrow I've got to get back out there and do this again and be able to set those boundaries in your mind. Um, Also try not to be too cynical and make sure that you're seeking out good mentors and a healthy support system. Um, The majority of the people that will talk to you or try to ask you about work uh, they're asking for a good gruesome work story they're not prepared to hear the answer. They may mean well, but they're not really grounded or trained to wade through some of your darker moments. Unpacking that stuff with the wrong people or in the wrong place can really kill a vibe. If you're at a party or a student event or something like that, <laughs> yes, and it mm-hmm. will leave you feeling like trash. You'll feel more isolated and lonely at the end of the day. So don't be afraid to set that boundary. Don't let yourself feel pressure to answer the inevitable, what's the worst thing you've ever seen question. And that happens like Anytime I tell somebody what I do for work, like it just happens and people don't think about it. Um, Don't don't feel pressured to do that. Know your audience and use your filter to find ways to redirect the conversation to something that's more positive, like the funniest moment or tell a story where you know that you've made a a big difference for a patient.
2: Uh, And also to springboard um, off of what Joel said about the what if game, it's inevitable. Um, But one of the things is it's important to ask the question once. Because you need to debrief the call and you need to figure out if there's anything that you can learn from it and anything that you need to um, grow in it, skills that you need to change skills things that you need to brush up on, that kind of stuff, but at some point you exhaust the constructive potential of it, and you need to stop <laughs> and you need to find a way to stop because there's nothing to be gained um dwelling on it, so you need to ask it once um, but after that, you need to stop and move on.
1: A question I have now is what are some helpful questions that people should be asking you know because i'm sure you guys have a lot of get a lot of questions which is not a bad thing uh, but at the same time what do you think would be a a good what is a good question to get from people
4: um i guess one thing i think i mean one of the first questions that that i always come to think of is like the first question is how are you like People want the stories, but yeah. like kind of what mm-hmm. Stephen was saying. I mean, sometimes, yes. you know, where's where's the reality check? I always say being in it for a very minimal amount of time, I give a lot of credit to the people that have been in it for 18 years. Like my full, current full-time partner, he's been in doing this for 17 years. He is very salty, very salty, <laughs> and he's got very straight opinions, but I give him credit. I mean, he's been in this for 17 years, like I mean, that would be like the first one that comes to mind in regards to just everything in regards to how the company operates, the dealing with administration, dealing with leadership, dealing with people, people that call you, people that do need you, people who don't care, um, even family. I mean, um, there's been a couple where, you know, you have to you have to be there and try to give some solace to family in a way and they don't like you. Like, I mean, it, it makes sense. You're giving them the worst news that they want to hear in the most emotionally driven moment for that time. They hate you. I mean, like I said, I'm, hi, my name is Romo. You can call me anything you want. I've pretty much been called everything in the book. Think about that. Like, that, that sounds funny. But at what point does that finally mentally and emotionally wax on you? And again, you yeah, detach that. You detach that because... It's an emotionally charged incident, um, usually when some of those things are going on, but it still affects you, right? It's still that, you know, like Steven said earlier, it's still the thing later you go, well, what if, what if I would have said something different? And sometimes it's not mm-hmm. going to matter, mm-hmm. you know? And it's all about yeah. how you carry yourself mm-hmm. through those questions that makes a difference for people. So not being reactionary in that sense. So I, I guess that was-
2: 100%. that's- 100%. I, I think for me, I, I'm less fond of the ones where people are just asking about like the, the craziest stories or the worst stories. And, and like you have a couple of stories that you just kind of pull out and you have them ready to go <laughs> just because it's so common. And so like it's not necessarily like it's, it's a constant like emotional track every time somebody asked. Cause you know, you, you just kind of learn to deal with it, but. I really enjoy it when um, friends or family or people that are interested are actually interested in coming down and seeing um, what we do. You know, they'll call up and say, "Hey, can I stop by station sometime?" and actually, um, and you know, get to see where you work and get to see the ambulance and bring their kids. You know, that kind of stuff is a lot of fun, and it's encouraging not just to not just to me, but to to everyone, um, because it shows that people care. It shows that people are interested recruitment's also a really big deal in, in these types of fields. And so definitely don't want to like dissuade people from considering the field because it is a really important field and it's a really um, great way to help people. Um, but that level, that high level of interest in community support is really important, not just for, not just for me, but for the, everyone as a whole. And so just showing some, showing some interest in asking those types of questions and stuff. Um, it's not necessarily like a scripted list, but just showing that you, are actually invested in, uh, what the other person is saying is, is a really big thing.
3: Yeah. I would second that. Definitely find ways to ask about the job itself. Obviously, if you're, you're going to talk about trauma or something, it's good to kind of ask, how are you not like, what did you go through? You know, what was the worst oh, yeah. moment? Mm-hmm. The, what's the moment that keeps you awake at night? Or like, when you think <laughs> about it, your heart starts beating and then it ruins your mood. I I that kind of stuff does happen. I, I I had that happen at a student event last year and someone very well meaning like came up to me and they were like, Oh, so you're an EMT? And I'm not kidding, like a minute later asked me about that. And I was completely floored because I was still like new enough. I was like, I don't have any bad moments. And then I thought about it and I had almost lost a patient like a day or two before. And my heart started beating and I was like, oh, I was in a bad mood afterwards. I I think I told the person like, oh, it was probably somebody with a broken leg or like explosive diarrhea or something and just kind of gave a a cop out story. But I was like, I was shook for the rest of the night. I was like in a bad mood and like avoiding people just because I was having like flashbacks and stuff. So definitely like there's there are ways to ask questions. And for you, if you're a provider, um, there are ways to tell your story that can actually be beneficial for them as members of the community or family members, but also can help you put things in perspective about like what differences are you making? Because there are a lot of calls that you run where you're just like mad afterwards. And um, the person, you know, if you're the provider, finding ways to share stories that are gonna engage the community and educate, but can also be beneficial to you as a provider. Not every call that you're going to run is going to be, is going to leave you with a, a great sense of accomplishment. Um, there are a lot of patients that you can actually make a difference for your life, for their life, and maybe even save their life. And they'll cuss you out, or they'll be, you know, in a bad mood, and you just have to kind of smile and give good customer service and patient care, and be like, "All right, you know, I'm glad glad you're doing better, and and wish you the best." And so, finding like ways to share stories that reinforces that for you and also for the community that like, Hey, we are making a difference. And it might not be a a big medical story. It might just be something like getting a patient a pillow or, you know, wrapping them in another blanket. And then they'll say something really profound, or it might be dealing with a very belligerent dementia patient and they have a moment of lucidity and say, thank you, or relive something. That's a really warm moment for them. And you get all the warm fuzzies and you're like, okay, this has nothing to do with emergency medical care, but this is just like, people skills and it makes you feel alive and makes you feel like you're making a difference. So capture those moments and share those moments for people.
1: Yeah, and one thing that stood out to me is, well, first off, respect, because you are doing customer service while trying to save people's lives when they are most likely not in the right mind in their worst emotional state. So that is a huge job already, right? Um, Those of us who've worked customer service Customer service before already know. I mean, man, so like it's that's a that's such a good good point point out. Like, yeah, that's like above everything that you're doing uh, medically. Yeah. Um. Also, just like you said, it, it really is the the human moments that that make a difference, and I, I love that. So, not to go over all your points, <laughs> but let's let us, yeah, let's get this into some stories. I do want to hear about some of these times where. Um, like you guys been hinting on some of them, where you were able to to grow and help people and um, ways that you've also like experienced things, but also grown from it and learned and all that. Um, let's start with this though. How about, tell me about, I mentioned the longest shift you had, like what gave you that longest shift? And tell me about ways that you were able to uh, either learn from that or uh rest within that or like find ways to kind of rest within that if at all possible.
3: Does sleeping um, while standing up count?
1: <laughs> yes. I mean <laughs>
2: Was that yeah. before or after uh, school? Let's Joe? talk about
1: that, especially <laughs> <laughs> especially since we talked about rest. So yeah, what what's been your longest shift and how did you guys deal with it?
4: Um I guess first question is um
1: what are your dedicated shifts? So
4: I mean we used to be running full twenty-fours. So you work for 24 hours, um, and now um, our company redid its full scheduling system, and now we're doing a combination of 24s and 12s. So that's them trying to work to try to minimize the amount of fatigue that come on the providers. Um, so I think my longest shift, I, to date that I can think of, I don't think I have done a forty eight. I think my longest shift that I've done is maybe a 40, maybe, but at least for sure a 36, because that's a 24 and a 12 stacked on top of each other. And most of the reason for that would be because I don't know how to say no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So that's usually the problem. I've done reverse 24s. So typically a 24 hour shift, you start at like in the morning and you go to the next morning. Hmm. I've done the reverse yeah. where you start at night and go night. Don't do those. Those are the no. worst. Cause typically <laughs> oh, you're sorry. up all day the day before. So technically you've been up for 48 hours or, you know, 12 before I had a, I have one partner that we had a while back. Like, I don't know how he did it, but he could just sit in a chair and boom, be out like a light for 15 minutes and back up and going and just like nothing happened. I'm like, or driving back from the hospital, back to our station. That's like a 15 minute ride. Boom, out like a light, sleeping for like 15 minutes and then back up again. I'm like, like, I don't know if he was actually sleeping or resting his eyes as my dad always says, Oh, I'm not sleeping. I'm resting my eyes. I'm very jealous. So I'm like, that would be nice. Like that you can just flip it off like a switch. Um, which is nice, but I don't know. I think that would really quite be the easiest way that would work. Um, besides that, so I don't know that's a bust I got, I guess
2: what i what I heard is Roma doesn't remember doing a 48 yeah, <laughs> that is even, totally even if, I don't remember
4: it. doing the 48 <laughs> I like I forgot the last twelve hours Yes, that's that's totally fair.
1: <laughs> maybe you were resting your eyes already like at that point you're just going on although just to be
4: fair, just to be fair, in all honestness, and you I have fallen asleep twice driving
3: that I remember. yeah, that's it funny. has happened. Or like taking care of patient. And you like fall asleep. Uh,
4: that I haven't done. That I haven't done. <laughs> but the worst part was because we had a straight. We had a straight shot on one of our mm. highways, and that's the worst because if mm. you're straight on, oh yeah, you oh, just. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was that was like yeah. a site transfer or something at like two o'clock in the morning, and we had been busy all day, and so, so, yeah. But it happens.
2: Yeah, my day longest happens. one was so we we were stacked twelves. I. Knew I wasn't going to be able to make my shift because it was a 30 minute drive and we had an ice storm coming in and I knew I wasn't going to be able to make it into station for my shift. And so I, being the sucker for punishment that I am, took the 12 hour shift prior to my shift and went in, did that shift, did my shift and then couldn't get home. And so we didn't have enough of a crew to staff the following shift. And so I took the third shift after that. So. It was at least 36 hours. I don't remember how much beyond 36, but mm-hmm. it was yeah. not the most pleasant day.
1: <laughs> kind of out of necessity, too, being like, you say, like, ice storm. Yeah, 18,
2: I mean, right? you know, here in Texas, they don't know what that is. But up in Iowa, you know, well, it, that's it is a, a normal occurrence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joel, you were saying?
3: Yeah, I, I would say I think that's probably about the same for me is, is a 36. And it went over at the time I would work. 12 hour shifts on and this was like when I first started last May or June I would work four or five 12 hour shifts a week like Monday through Friday and then I would pick up on a 911 truck on the weekends and cuz I was like I don't want to just ferry people around like I want to get my hands you know dirty and like learn um and and grab some of that momentum so I would pick up the 911 shifts and If you're doing a 24-hour shift or even a 12-hour shift, sometimes you'll get downtime in between calls. Maybe it'll be 30 minutes between a call. Maybe it'll be a couple of hours with nothing. So those are moments where you can sleep. You can watch a movie, play video games, get something to eat, you know, whatever. Some days you might work a 12-hour shift and literally back-to-back-to-back calls. You'll run... 13, 14 calls in 12 hours. And it's not just running the call and treating the patient, but it's like sanitizing the ambulance afterwards, restocking it, writing your paperwork, like you're constantly working. Um, So I think my longest shift was a 12-hour shift. I worked the night and ended up working the next day because it was short-staffed. In EMS, we have this thing called holdover. It's not very fun. Holdover
4: mandate is what we have. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mandatory holdover. And so depending on whether you're a county, private EMS, city, whatever, um, there's either contracts or if you're like volunteer, there may not be anybody to take provide coverage at all. But the idea is they don't want unstaffed 911 crews. So anytime in the city, there's going to be ambulances that are designated for 911 calls. If somebody has a heart attack, a stroke, you know, gets shot or like wrecks their car there has to be a truck available for them. Um, if they're not, they may take a, a general transport or interfacility truck that's job is like moving discharges from ERs or if a patient's bad off and obviously they can't go from the hospital to their other care facility or the hospital to their nursing home, ambulances have to transport them. So um, the type of calls that you would be dealing with on those type of trucks will be a little bit different. Um, it's not impossible that, you know, you might be on an interfacility facility truck and get a 911 call. Somebody's having a baby or somebody gets shot and they just need an ambulance. And so you can get tasked and have some variety in calls. For mandatory holdover, they want to keep people on the trucks so that there's, there are ambulances available to take emergencies. And so if you are getting off at 8 p.m. and it is 7.57 and there is an emergency... You're not going home at 8 p.m. You're probably going home at 9 or 10 or 1130 that night. And so and that's that's fairly common. You know, I would be scheduled to work 48 hours and always end up working 60 hours weeks, you know, working four shifts a week. And so that's that's fairly common practice within EMS. And my longest shift was um, they didn't have people available. We had a whole bunch of EMTs that were down with COVID. All of the social unrest was going on last June. So we had a bunch of our EMTs that were in the National Guard that got deployed to go deal with the protests. And so we didn't have people around. And that was that was a 36 hour shift that like we ran back to back calls. I I ate like once. I didn't sleep for 36 hours. And I was like falling asleep while driving, falling asleep while taking care of the patients. At the end, when end of that shift, the third 12 hour shift. And it was more than 36. It was like 30 something, but I, I don't remember. I called our dispatch to let them know I was out of service. We'd already stocked our ambulance, parked our ambulance. And the dispatcher was like, stand by. Uh, I'm, we're we're going to have to hold you over. And my partner was already in his car and he was sitting there like texting his wife and like getting his tunes going. And I ran over. I, I had. I was on hold on the phone and I was like, man, get out of here. Go, go home <laughs> before they realized and, uh, I was so like, just emotionally spent. I was about like, about ready to start crying. I was like, I cannot do this. And, uh, I told her that my, my partner had already left the parking lot. And I was like, I'm, I'm not sticking around. Like we've got, we have crews to take these calls. Like there's no reason to hold us over.
2: And when, when you're talking to 12 hours, so if you're really talking a 13 or 14 hour, if you've got reports to write, cause there's All a the certain number of yeah. like, you have to get your reports done within a certain number of hours of the call. And so mm. if you haven't gotten all your paperwork done, you can't leave. <laughs> yeah. Roma, you're saying?
4: I, I remember one morning we got, we were pretty busy. Um, I remember, I think the busiest shift that I have was with my current full-time partner back like two, uh, two years ago. We ran a 24 hour shift. We ran about a total of 13 calls. So you're thinking, oh, 13 calls. It's about half the time of your shift. Well, a typical call for us lasts about an hour and a half. So if you take that and then we do what I call long distance like interfacility, like Joel was talking about. So for us, we cover both county nine one one contracts for Sheboygan County is proper. And then we also do the primary inner facility transports for both of the hospitals, plus all the like little bitty discharges and things like that. So we ran two long distances, so that's six hours total, and so that's nine calls, so you go seven. And so then you go seven times an hour and a half and kind of think what the numbers of that is, it's going to be what anybody good with numbers here. Cause I'm not, um, <laughs> a lot, a lot, like pretty yeah. much we like ran all morning. And so I don't know if it was this shift mm-hmm. or the other, mm-hmm. but I remember the next morning, I think it was like a Sunday morning or something. I got in my car and I just like, what is this in the sky? Oh, that's the sun. It hurts. Like I was like, so <laughs> mad. And grumpy. I'm like, why is that out there? Like this heart, like that's how sleep deprived I was. Like I hated the sun. The Lord will forgive me, but still, I was just like, why is that out there? And it's it's, yeah. it's like par for the course. Like Stephen and Joel, like, yep, mm-hmm. that sounds about right. And you're listening, like, what? Why would you be so mad at that? But like, that's literally where I was at.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I still I laugh at it. That yeah. was funny.
1: I mean, and and respect. So, yeah. What are some instances where, um, yeah, more of a positive experience, something that you've been able to learn? And um, obviously, this is part of your vacation and what you do. But what has helped you, I guess, appreciate the position and continue going as well? Any thoughts?
4: I appreciate the position that you've been in. Um, I'm trying to remember, there's a quote that reminds me of. There's a quote that they say Something within the Japanese culture about how they really focus in on, on bringing people into the world and then protecting their elderly and, 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 and escorting them outside of the, the natural world. And what a, what a sense of honor that is to people. And Matt said, now think about it EMS, they're pretty much in the same boat. There are people that bring people into the world, and there have been people that will escort people out of the natural world. I mean, personally for me, I mean, most rewarding ones are the hospice transfers and um, they're the most bummer ones because these people know, they know that this is pretty much their last ride. Um actually yesterday we took a gentleman from, from his home and we stopped at the local gas station and he got a, a smoothie and a pack of smokes and the people there knew him and it, I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, it's like, it was a bummer. I mean, almost everybody was crying. Cause it's like, they know him and they know that this is it, you know? Um, and I actually got the opportunity actually, approximately four years ago, I got to take my grandma to hospice. And that was so, so rewarding. Um, we actually came out here by my parents' house and we took the cot and brought it up on the beach and we just sat there for 10 minutes and just looked at the lake. And that, and that's the beauty of that. Like we're able to do that. And, but yet it's such an emotionally charged call but it's so so rewarding and so i think taking those times to to identify and not accept but acknowledge humanity in the time that it is i think is is one that i think takes time and i think sometimes you have to be careful that you don't just like i think steven said don't become cynical with it because we're all human we all we all come to that place and so providing the best care best pr Um, but even just the best emotional human connection that you can for those people because they know that it's the last time. If you talk to Joel and Steven and myself, I think there's a lot of places. I mean, we could go on for hours and places that we've learned, but for me, that's probably my biggest one.
2: 100%. Yes. Yeah, Steven, Joel, what do you guys think? There's a lot of calls where you're actually able to affect some sort of change. There's a lot of calls where you can't sometimes the best you can do is just calm somebody down and just have a conversation get to hear about their family get to hear about um you know whatever is going on in their life and those can be difficult because we like to be doing things with our hands and we like to be able to actually make things happen um but some of the most rewarding calls i think for me were like um and we didn't do a lot of transfers we were mostly 911 um but when we were taking like cancer patients um uh, to their treatment center for com- for complications or something like that, but you're able to hear their stories and you're able to hear the things that they've been learning. And they're, the community that I was working in, um, pretty much everyone knows each other. You can always find somebody in common, pretty much. That was always fun. Um, there were also calls where we were um, supporting fellow uh, EMS providers or police officers or firefighters Um, one of the things that maybe people don't realize that we do is, um, when there's something like a house fire, um, we'll go out with, even if there's no injuries, um, just to kind of stage and help. But one of the things that we're doing there is, um, checking all the firefighters out after they've spent so many minutes inside. And, um, so we're getting to support, um, these other people that are doing incredible work for the community as well and getting to be a part of, um, I guess getting, getting to be uh, a gear in that whole big machine of uh, everything that's going on in this community and and helping this community. And and I think those are really, really rewarding calls, Um, you know, aside from like the individual incidents and things that we run into.
3: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Just being there for the families, um, being there for other coworkers. One of the things I love to do with like, Whenever we're transporting a dementia patient, is I'll find, I'll find something to connect through like their youth, especially if they're completely out of it or they're like you know they're acting like a two or three year old. I've found that like music is something that is a pretty universal like way of connecting with people, and so I'll kind of guesstimate. Okay, this person's in their eighties. Like I'm gonna play some swing music, or I'm gonna find some Bing Crosby tunes or Fats Domino or something like that, and it it always like it always brings them back to like ground level and like can kind of center them. When we get to the hospital, you know, they will be more or less like, you know, calm down. And, you know, if they're agitated or something um, and it's a really nice way of just like sharing a moment. Sometimes I have to be careful because like there's, there's always wild cards. Like one time I had a a lady and I asked her what her, like what she wanted to listen to. And she was like in her eighties and she like, very enthusiastically and profanely told me she's like i want to listen to acdc and i was like what you you're like 84 years old and you want to listen to acdc and she's like yeah angus is my man he's like so hot and i was like what the heck <laughs> and so i was like you want to listen to angus she's like yeah he's like australian or scottish i can't remember and i was like what do you want to listen she's like back in black and so I I like I pulled up Spotify and like I blasted ACDC's back in black. And I'm not kidding. Like she's sitting there on the stretcher and she's like bobbing her head. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. and I was like, what in the world is happening here? And I told her, <laughs> I was like, when we get into the nursing facility, like the nurses have absolutely no sense of humor. They're not going to understand. So I'm going to have to turn the music down. Like when we're talking to the nurses on the radio or like when we get in, I'm going to have to kill it. But I promise you, we'll rock out for the rest of the rest of the ambulance ride. And so that was just kind of a funny moment where like we bonded over music. <laughs>
1: that's that's so cool. Um yeah. And so with that, um again, it, it's just really cool to see again, like you guys pointed out, that it, it is all these human moments, right? There's a lot of the craziness and whatnot. But a lot of times what brings us back is how we can connect as humans and as people. So on that note, as we close out, um, I'm sure there'll be some listeners, some younger people who are considering uh, going into the EMT or um, the EMT field, uh, doing this, uh, becoming EMS. Um, What would you say to them? Uh, Just could be a short sentence or something, but a piece of advice that you would leave with people thinking about this. We'll start with Steven, Roma, and
2: then we'll end with Joel. How's that? I think it's gonna have to be a little bit longer than just a short sentence, but- um, Go for it, go for it. Definitely find a support system and uh, people that you can trust. Live out your faith, um, however you can in the field and with whoever um, God gives you in your rig. Don't minimize the importance of the really small details in your medical procedures. Pay very, very close attention to those. They're very important.
4: Um, I think, yeah, I think one of the biggest things is, is um, this is kind of a shameless plug through Navigate um, for the new Navigate. But I think one of the things I saw when I did it back in the day is I saw that when I started looking through that things, EMS was one of the ways I could fill my passions, my goal, and what I thought my mission was. And what it was leading me to um, initially I thought it was just a stepping stone but I feel like kind of right now it's my prim- primary place to be to the timing point um yeah definitely as Steven said live out your faith and that can be a really hard thing to do especially in the e- in the EMS field as a whole um, right now in the current theater of things that are going on because you don't you don't work for a company you work in some cases, you work for a leadership structure and sometimes you don't agree with that leadership structure. So um, be the leader that God has called you to be in those positions and that, that will be rewarding. It won't be easy, but it will be rewarding. Um, and even just the anecdote of it's okay if you feel like it doesn't work. That's, that's fine. I mean, thankfully in the medical side, there's a lot of different options. I've seen men- multiple good friends that Started EMS and just thought, ah, eh, that's not what I want, but they found something else and they're really good at it. And so don't be afraid of that either. Um, kind of use it as a stepping stone to figure out where God is calling you to be. And don't get your feet too wet. I mean, get them wet, but don't drown, I guess. <laughs>
1: hmm. Yeah, hey, I'm going to steal that. Get your feet wet, but don't drown. <laughs> that, that's a good word. <laughs>
2: So, Abraham, one of the things, yes. I, I think my craziest call, we actually had a deer blow through the hospital window. What?
4: Ooh, that's sounds um, Run around
2: the lobby and then blow out another hospital window on the way out. Yo.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tell this story. I, I remember you mentioning it. Let's, let's hear this story. Go for it.
2: So I I was in, I was in the ER and uh, this is my training hospital and um, it's where the ambulances are based out of for this, for this region. And um, dispatch uh, grabs us and says, Hey, just as a heads up, police are coming out to the hospital and we're not exactly sure why yet. <laughs> so we uh, get on our stuff and we run down to the other end of the hospital and turns out a deer had, um, this is in winter a deer had blown out a window run around the lobby um, and then blown out another window on the way out so there's deer blood everywhere all over oh, um, that entire room and so we go to we go to look around and um, the poor old lady that was a receptionist in that lobby was hiding under her desk <laughs> at the front of the room Stephen I do want to ask so um,
1: you got the call. It was where you got there. The deer was, was the deer still there? No. Oh, so the deer leave. disappeared and
2: we never found it. Law enforcement never found it. Oh, but really? We did find out that hospital security had gotten there um, while the deer was still in the room and they had pulled their tasers out, just about tased it. I have no idea what happens if you tase a deer. We just about <laughs> found out.
1: You, Hey, yo, if you're going to go into your story, go for it.
3: I would, I don't know. I, I definitely would agree. Like seconding Roma's psych transfers. I've had some, really weird 2 a.m. psych encounters. Um, Probably the stickiest or sketchiest situation. I would just say, like, the whole week of all the protests that were happening last year. That was pretty sketchy. Going out to calls and just never knowing, like, what was happening. Thankfully, like, we stayed safe. But I know, like, there were other departments in our state that were getting, like, rocks thrown at them when they'd go out to calls um you know like firefighters trying to go out and put out fires from the light riots and having people you know threaten them and stuff um we had protesters that like tried to jump in front of our ambulance while we were coming back from a call that was kind of ske- sketchy i think one of the one of the nights we were working a 24 hour shift we had to come up with a plan for like what we were going to do because our at that particular station we were at was our ambulance bus barn and like auto shop. So there's like a large collection of oxygen bottles and gasoline and all the flammable stuff. And so we're like, what are we going to do if like they come over here and a fire gets started? Like we're all probably going to die. And so we had like had to come up with this whole like egress plan for how we were going to evacuate and like get away if our building got torched. Um, That was pretty... pretty scary and thankfully you know god protected us and people significantly chilled out um we did take a call to one of the one of the protesters that had um od'd like the next morning and wow it was just like lying in the street Mm -hmm. and when we showed up with police showed up and you know anytime somebody's like a man down like whether they're shot or od'd or something like that usually police will get there first to like secure the scene. And so everyone was kind of, the locals were kind of agitated to begin with when they go out there and they see, you know, a whole bunch of cop cars and they see like an ambulance and they're like, you know, what are you doing to this poor guy? And that was kind of a scary situation to, to just go out there and, you know, we're trying to talk to the patient and having a crowd of agitated people, like yelling at you and like, what are you doing? But thankfully, you know, that was pretty chill. We, we were safe, we were able to take care of the patient and get him to the hospital and stuff, and, and nobody got hurt out of that. But yeah, it was a, those were some sketchy times.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, definitely scary. Um, yeah, you wanna go ahead into what you're going to say with um, closing thoughts, but yeah, go for it.
3: Yeah, so for people that are preparing for the field, um, know that it's a huge field. There's a lot of different things that you can be doing, mm. like what Roma said. Um, literally getting your national registry, getting on the ambulance is just like dipping your little toe into the ocean of medical first responder, You know, law enforcement. There's so many different things you can do. Um, decide what you're wanting to get out of the field. Doing that's going to help you set work boundaries. It's going to help you to seek out mentors. It'll help keep you on track. Um, it can open up a lot of doors but it can also become a dead end job if you let it if you're going to be a career EMT it's physically and psychologically demanding and doing it long term takes a huge toll i know personally like 3 coworkers that have killed themselves in the past like year and a half um, i know of multiple that are you know younger people in their 20s and 30s that are now on disability because of work related injuries Um, You need to take care of yourself and always keep your eyes on the horizon. If you like the ambulance and want to stay in that environment full time, you know, become an AMT, become a paramedic, start teaching classes or become a fire medic. Um, Mm -hmm. If you like paramedicine, you can get into critical care transports, become a flight medic. You know, if you like the law enforcement or the outdoors, there are options to work with SWAT teams or you could serve as an EMT with the Forestry Service. Um, if you like the hospital environment, you could work in an ER as a paramedic or EMT. I've done a little bit of that myself. You know, there's also like paramedic to nursing bridge programs. Um, whatever you do, don't become the cynical 45 year old EMT basic who hates their life, doesn't take care of their body and then dies like two years after retiring from living a lifetime of stress and sleep deprivation, like take care of yourself.
1: Yeah, that's a, a really good word. Um, not not just for EMT, I would argue, but especially hearing from you guys. Well, guys, this was very educational for myself and I'm sure for a lot of uh, our listeners. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thank you for your service with serving your communities and just going around, especially like last year. I know um, a lot of you guys were just working a lot with helping with everything. So really appreciate it for myself. But just with all the stories and all the different things that we've talked about that you guys went through, that's fascinating, but something that, hey, I really appreciate. So thank you for coming on. This has been really good.
2: Thanks, Abe:
0: All right. well, that was a really cool episode to listen to. Abe, what were some of your takeaways?: I think just
1: the spirit of, of service and, and being mm-hmm. human. Mm-hmm. And getting to talk with the brothers here again, hearing a lot of their stories. I said episode, and here on the episode, uh, just to see how yes, of course, with everything we do, it is about serving the community to the best of our abilities, but also with being an EMT specifically, how how human it is, and mm-hmm. it it's not just about medical knowledge, right? It's mm-hmm. and as uh, Roma and others mentioned, it's not the book smarts. But it is about learning on the go and all these other things that you only learn when you're on the job. Like, and mm-hmm. as we say, like project-based learning, it's it's when you are out there doing stuff, that's where you, one, really get the experience, but two, are
0: truly growing. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, for real, like the amount of work that those guys were talking about, how they put in so much time just in the shifts and in preparing for being able to do that is absolutely incredible. And uh, Mm -hmm. one thing that uh, Roma mentioned that uh, he really appreciated uh, when he was in Unbound is our Navigate course. And Uh, If you don't know what that is, is that Navigate is a 16-week online course that we here at Unbound offer that teaches students a model for a stress-free, God-honoring, decision-making framework, along with other principles that equip them to make better decisions throughout their life, something which I think all of those guys have really been able to use in their day-to-day. And so if you're interested in that, you can get a free four-part video series about decision making sent straight to your inbox by signing up at beunbound.us slash navigate if you want to learn more.
1: Yep, I cannot second that more. For all of you guys listening, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a really great and fun episode to record. Next time, episode 62 is unbound conversations we have a set of very exciting guests coming out i know i say this a lot but (laughs) seriously you guys do not want to miss this one it's coming out next week as usual stay tuned be unbound and i'll catch you all next week